Coming up on episode 41 of the Upful Life podcast. Uh, for her birthday party, there was like a microphone there and she had everyone in attendance write and read a poem. And I had never done anything like that before, but I wrote something for her birthday and like people applauded. And that was like the first time I had ever experienced that. And then uh, the owner of the club came over to me afterwards and was like, hey, uh, in two weeks, uh, would you be able to do a featured performance? And I was like, yeah, sure. I had no idea what that meant. You know, he was uh, he was looking for an hour-long set of poetry, which is crazy. Um, but I just agreed to it. And I'm like the kind of person who likes to have a deadline. So I was like, all right, well, I don't have but this one poem. So I got to write another, you know, 57 minutes of poetry <laughs> and just see what happens. And uh, that was that. And that, that started the whole thing. Yes, indeedy. Welcome to the Upful Life Podcast. I'm your host, B. Getz, and this is episode number 41, coming at you live and direct from the Vibe Junkie Studio in Oakland, California. So grateful you are tuning in. Episode 41 of the Upful Life podcast is brought to you by Herb and Music, the healing of the nations. Herbandmusic.com Cannabis and music have been cosmically intertwined since the beginning of time. Modern music and marijuana culture have enjoyed a chromatic relationship, a defiant, righteous dalliance between these once forbidden fruits. Herb and Music is a fresh online magazine and seeks to explore the storied history between the worlds of sound art, spirituality, and raised vibration. Urban Music intends to celebrate the people, the songs, and their stories behind the music, marijuana, and movements. The concept is an intentional feature-based throwback to magazine journalism and topical coverage that really digs deep into the intellect and consciousness. Turntable, trumpet, to nyabingi. 
And from seed to a tree, urban music, the healing of the nations, will humbly offer a hub of connectivity, a well of storytelling, and a space for education and uplifting vibration. www.urbanmusic.com H-E-R-B-A-N-M-U-S-I-C Urbanmusic.com The Healing of the Nations. Episode 41, the Up for Life podcast. Shout out to Johnny G from The Special for the insightful conversation in episode 40, which dropped right around the time of that capital craziness. So if you missed it, please check it out. Episode 40 with Johnny G from The Special, insightful conversation with a uh, really dynamic young musician in the game. And uh, in light of all the political stuff happening and cultural shifts and conspiracy theories in the news, I just wanted to remind folks, in case you missed it, we had the great Derek Barris, journalist, uh, co-host of Conspirituality Podcast, and of Big Think, a writer, editor there, as well as a salient voice in the community. Uh, it's discussing how the New Age festival, burner, wellness, yoga world crossed over with stuff like QAnon. So just want to point folks in that direction. If you are so inclined, check out episode 38 with Derek Barris. And of course, please rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts uh, or your podcast platform of choice. The reviews go a long way to channeling the algorithms in this direction, putting this podcast on folks' radar. So we appreciate any reviews and ratings. And of course, you can reach me directly. Send me an email, b.getz at upfullife.com. That's b.getz at upfullife.com. Feedback, recommendations, constructive criticisms, and the like are welcome and appreciated. And of course, check out the brand new Upful Life Patreon patreon.com backslash upfullife folks have asked me how they can support the upful life podcast and my independent music media endeavors in general so finally we rolled out a patreon check it out we've got live shows mixtapes playlists stickers some top secret musical downloads and the like i'm figuring it out as i go along flying by the seat of my pants so of course open to any recommendations, suggestions, and assistance in line with Patreon as well. Patreon.com backslash life. Now let's transition into episode 41. We've got a pair of interviews lined up with some underground artists that I am excited to put on your radar. Where did I go? 
before their times exist, all times resist, all times paint their time with the most descript lines, climbing the vine to the divine, and the vine is the spine, and the mind is the vine with the power to wind time in any which way, switch any such day from white right to black, from Jack Cowax, abstract tales of absurd words, voice mimics Charlie Bird's saxophone poem, Mr. Parker in the darker bars of the night, playing light, improvising and rising like the sapphire sun, it was Jim Moore's son who spoke to me once, I was 13, trying to dream while the record was skipping, a question was tripping over a sentence inquiring existence, if my life was a movie, would it be intense, would it be enough to see would the plot make any sense, would the footage be rough, would I ever know love, did I move fast enough to keep off the dust and fend off the rust, it's a must that I place my trust in my muse, the music I choose to use in congruence with all possible influence. Fluidly the wind whispers through the trees The philosophies of Saul, Rumi, and Socrates In candlelight I read Hafiz where poetry meets prophecy And we permeate parables, cosmic creations Immensely valuable, infinite translations To serenade the soul's extensive sensations The fat behind fables Sit down at the table to converse the empirical The guests to the best to stretch the status quo George O'Keefe, the truth, Keith Harris, 120 Morrison, as well as Jim Bob Dylan, Rocky and Jonathan Clapham, Led Zeppelin, Tom Robbins, Howard Zinson, Bear, John Lennon, me, and Prism, Laughlin, Beethoven, and Mozart, the abstract daughter, Frida Kahlo, Pablo Picasso, Company Flow, Arthur Ramboni, David Thoreau, Felonius, Balcombonius, Pump, Jimmy Hendrix, Gibrons, Prophet, Kirk Cobain, John Coltrane, Zachary, Sam, Left Permanent Imprints on my brain, Perry Fairless, Peripheral Vision, James Dixon, White Light Reflecting in a Prism, Hunter S. Thompson, Robert Johnson's Blues, Langston Hughes, Radiohead, Gangstar, The Grateful Dead, Blackstar, Most Evan, Quali, Burning Spears, The Years, and Marcus Garvey, Martin Luther King, and Inez, Moe, Ralph Nader, and Alone, Gil Scott, Heron, The Last Poets, Last Poles, Jimmy Cliff, Jimmy Smith, West Montgomery, Dizzy Gillespie, Mahava Gandhi, J.B. Strange, Brown, Trap, Buckley, Arplakey, Ardolfi, Gang, Bodily, Rumi, Phelan, and Femi, Kuti, Rashid Ali, Bob, Marley, Mike, Lad. Michael Jackson before that. Toots of the Maytals, the Richard John Mayer, Ginsburg, Gilbert, Stevie Wonder, Migas, Bacon, Lightning, Thunder, Erica, Badi, Rai, Sabah, Who, Miles, John, The Hooker, Book, Indian, The Empties, Muhammad Ali, Flashman, Pearl Jam, Tiji Dance, Ali, Raz, Muhammad, Yisha, Korea, Al Green, Pink Floyd, welcome me to this machine that I currently rage against. And I sit here awaiting tomorrow's dreams and I wait with great suspense. I pray one day that a light will beam and we will climb the fence and embrace a change that's so extreme, a peaceful existence. Embrace a change that's so extreme, a peaceful existence. Yes, indeedy. You just heard from Alfred Howard sitting in with Carl Denson's Tiny Universe about five in the morning, 4th of July, 2003, High Sierra Music Hall. That was my introduction to our next guest on the Up for Life podcast, poet, singer-songwriter, record store guy, and uh, voice of a generation, in my opinion. Alfred Howard, based in San Diego, California. And yeah, got hip to Al through Carl D. All those many moons ago, and then paid attention to his work a little bit with the K23 Orchestra over the years. But then he really got back on my radar uh, about 10 years later, 2012, 2013, on Facebook with his just incredible short stories um, and his writings. And eventually I found out that he was a member of a number of bands and wrote songs for Myriad Moore. So I'd always been kind of angling to connect with him and ideally interview him. This presented itself rather organically behind his project, Alfred Howard Writes, in which Howard has challenged himself to write 
two songs per week until he hit 100 songs during the pandemic. And since June, he has been posting two songs a week on alfredhowardwrites.com. The lyrics are by Alfred, with music and vocals by a collection of musicians that run the gamut across the nation. Um, And it's also really cool because each song is not only accompanied by Alfred's trademark writings, short stories, contextual musings, but also each song comes with a stunning watercolor painting uh, by his own mother, Marion Howard. She, the illustrator, printmaker, painter, and creative role model extraordinaire. Now, I don't want to say too much because my man does a great job of telling the tale, connecting the dots, beginning with that performance that you just heard with Carl D, all the way up through this project, Alfred Howard writes. You just heard a song off the fourth volume uh, called Don't Look Down with Ms. Nikki Bloom, and just sagged into a song called One Minute to Midnight by Rebecca Jade. He writes a lot of folk stuff, some rock stuff, indie rock, you know, alt-country, you name it. Plus, he's, he's deep in hip-hop and punk rock, incredible fashion sense. My man dots a lot of I's and crosses a lot of T's, and therefore it was an honor and a privilege to hop on the horn with Alfred Howard. We'll hear a little bit more One Minute to Midnight, Rebecca Jade, uh, Alfred Howard Writes, alfredhowardwrites.com, and then I'm going to play a special spoken word piece at the end of the conversation. Uh, you're listening to episode 41 of the Up Full Life podcast. I'm your host, B. Getz. Yes, indeedy. Hey, what's happening? Hey, Alfred. B. Gets with the Up to Life podcast. How you doing today? I'm doing pretty well, man. Yourself? Also doing pretty well. Uh, I appreciate uh, you taking some time to speak with us. And I've been a fan of yours for a number of years. I was thinking back uh, my introduction to your performances and work was at High Sierra 2003 uh, with Carl Denson. And, you know, just experiencing that many years ago that I had like a CDR of the performance that I burned from archive.org and was just transfixed by that spoken word poem accompaniment. And so this is a big deal. Me finally speaking to you 18 years down the road. Ah, That's awesome, man. That's awesome. That was a good memory for me too. Was it the late night set? Yes, indeed. Yeah. Carl, uh, Carl's a San Diego guy. In fact, he's playing with the Rolling Stones now, but Carl gave me a lot of opportunities like early on in my career to reach some people. So I will always be appreciative of Carl, man. Yeah. Likewise. He certainly uh, put you on my radar. He also came on this podcast a couple months ago and we got into some Sandy, San Diego stuff. So I'm sure we'll do a little bit of the same, but that was my introduction to you. And then uh, this year I've just been really sinking into your 100 songs project. That's obviously what was the, 
motivating factor for me to connect with you to speak uh, about this amazing undertaking. And for those that don't know, I'm sure you've done a great deal of media and I watched your Kelly Clarkson show the other day, but uh, as much or as little as you want, just introduce what exactly uh, is Alfred Howard Wright's 100 song. So I guess it was 32 weeks ago, <laughs> however that works out, because um, I'm on song 64. I put out two songs a week, um, and I write two short stories to go with the songs. And my mom does original artwork. She's a watercolor painter. And she does uh, artwork for each song, and uh, I release them in like a subscription-based uh, process. And, yeah, it kind of came out of the whole pandemic. It was just a way to stay creative and kind of put a positive spin on a negative situation. And uh, also an opportunity to just work with a ton of different musicians because it's all collaborative. It's people from like all around the states and a couple from beyond. And uh, yeah, just their interpretations of uh, lyrics that I put out there. Right on, right on. Yeah, and what that's just such an uh, ambitious endeavor. And yeah, I would really be interested in hearing uh, a bit about you know that process. But I think for my listeners and even for myself, just kind of retracing a little bit of the steps of like, who is Alfred Howard and, and all, you know, even preparing for this, I thought I was familiar with your work and I feel like just the tip of the iceberg, it's so expansive and touch on so many genres and geographies. Um, let's take it back to the beginning. I know I'm talking to you from San Diego, but you know, where are you from originally? And, and maybe like, how did you get into music and, you know, writing poetry, spoken word, et cetera. Yeah, so I'm originally from uh, New Jersey. I like born in uh, Jersey City, New Jersey. Right on Cherry Hill. I'm oh, okay. Yeah. I had a, a friend named Ron Melser from Cherry Hill. We used to go bird watching. That was a million years ago, man. But, um, yeah, so I, I grew up in New Jersey, and, um, you know, my mom had a, a record collection when I was growing up, and I would always, like, listen to her records, and uh, I just was always into music. And then when uh, one of my good friends he was like the first of us to get his like learner's permit or his driver's license or whatever it was at the time. And we would just hit yard sales. And it was that time in the, you know, like late eighties, early nineties where everyone was getting rid of their vinyl for like next to nothing. And you could just come up on, you know, all these records for like a quarter a piece. So we would just buy anything that had like an interesting looking cover. And we'd go back to Charlie Robertson's house and we would, uh, just put him on his turntables and just listen to music. So I kind of started collecting records like early on. And um, I just always collected records and tapes and CDs when that became a thing and just kind of was obsessive about it. And then uh, I graduated from Boston College in 99 and I literally got cold and somebody named Tricky Dan told me that you could get an apartment on the beach in San Diego for $300 a month. And obviously, I should have never believed anyone who uh, goes by the name of Tricky Dan. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this was at a time where, like, I wasn't on the Internet. I definitely didn't have the Internet in my pocket. And I definitely wasn't even sure how I felt about the Internet in general. You know, like having an email address was like a option at that point. And like, you know, I still my freshman year at college, I did my essays on a typewriter, you know, it's like crazy how, how quickly like times change, but I never bothered to like look up if that was a fact. I just got in the car and drove to San Diego 
very gradually. I did a uh, 3,000 mile cross country drive with two of my friends. Uh, met my father for the first time in my life. Found out that I had a brother who was in like one of my favorite uh, hip hop groups growing up, and uh, like a half brother, and just had this really like I don't know this expansive trip where I I got to like know a lot about myself. You know, it was that like kind of awkward phase in life where you know I got out of college, I had a degree in psychology, I had no idea what I wanted to do with that. I was trying to get sober you know i had a little bit of like a drinking problem at that time and i did get sober and uh you know i just had this really amazing cross-country drive where we camped out and you know went hiking in all these amazing places and national parks and uh saw roger waters and all these amazing concerts all the way across the country um and then i started writing just on that trip i started writing some mostly like short stories at that time. And uh, when I got to San Diego, I uh, got an apartment. I got my first job at a record store. And at some point, it just became not enough to obsessively listen to music. I wanted to be on the creative side. And I didn't know how to do that, but I could talk, you know, and I was like, maybe I'll try spoken word. You know, I had just seen that movie uh, Slam with, Saul Williams. And um, I was like, I, I think I could do that. Probably not as good, but I think I could do that, you know? So I just I just started writing. And it was really funny. Uh, a friend of mine had a birthday party at a vegan Indian restaurant slash jazz bar slash art space called Galoka, which was briefly in La Jolla. And uh, for her birthday party, there was like a microphone there and she had everyone in attendance write and read a poem. And I had never done anything like that before, but I wrote something for her birthday and like people applauded. And that was like the first time I had ever experienced that. And then uh, the owner of the club came over to me afterwards and was like, hey, uh, in two weeks, uh, would you be able to do a featured performance? And I was like, yeah, sure. I had no idea what that meant. You know, he was... uh he was looking for an hour long set of poetry, which is crazy. Um, but I just agreed to it. And I'm like the kind of person who likes to have a deadline. So I was like, all right, well, I don't have but this one poem. So I got to write another, you know, 57 minutes of poetry <laughs> and just see what happens. And uh, that was that. And that, that started the whole thing. Wow. Yeah. There's so much to unpack there, man. And, you know, it's like a time honored tradition. I think I grew up in Jersey. I'm currently living in Oakland, been out here in California for about seven plus years. And I think Go Warriors. one way, yep. Yeah, uh, one way or another, although they, they moved over to the other side. Of the I third, know. But, I know. You know, I'm, I'm a Sixers fan, but you know, I, I arrived when Warriors mania was, you know, really getting off the ground. So I got to have a bird's eye view of that whole phenomenon. It was a beautiful thing to see for the region. But yeah, oh, I was man. thinking like the, the time honored tradition of the cross country, uh, travel, you know, <laughs> journey, uh, especially with, you know, so many variables that I can uh, identify with, whether it be having a degree and not sure what to do with it or struggling with a substance or just seeking a promise of some sort of, you know, quasi neo hippie dream, but in your own way. So it really, really definitely resonated with me. A couple of things I had to ask was, uh, what was the hip hop group your half brother was in? Oh, Diggable Planets. 
oh man, seriously, Blowout Combs like literally one of my ten favorite records. Any one genre. of the best, best of all time, man. Yeah, yeah Butterfly is my my half brother. Amazing! Wow, <laughs> that that's a nugget right there. We'll have to we'll definitely uh, play some diggable today just on on that fact. And also, you know, when you talk about like your uh, poetry and performing, uh, I definitely you know was was thought Saul Williams. You know, right away, just because that was my first frame of reference for such a performance. But I can't even put you in a box like that. I, there, you know, I was watching a bunch of your videos in preparation for this and revisited that performance at High Sierra. And there's like, it's like this, it's part emceeing, but it's also like HR from Bad Brains. And at the same time, when you were like, uh, that poem I'm speaking of, which there's another version of it um, from like some cave in Utah on YouTube, same poem where you just rapid fire all these different artists with subtle commentaries, you know, like Michael Jackson before bad or whatever. (laughs) But it's such a breath. I mean, you touch on from genre to generation um, and every kind of like cultural touchstone, you know, underground artists and all that. So it's just amazing to, to hear you kind of just, lay out how you got from point A to point B, because I only had that one poem uh, as far as you were concerned for so long, but there's just so much in there. And then now that I've come to listen to your music and I read, you know, found you on Facebook, maybe like 10 years ago, a little less. So for a while there, you know, you were active, you dropped the short stories on your Facebook page and people would be transfixed. And then now they kind of like ported that uh, to the, the writings that accompany the songs, which frankly delivers even better than Facebook, you know, just getting the music and the image from your mom and then your words about what's behind it. Shit's deep and it really resonates in a profound way. So yeah, man. Thank you. Appreciate that. I wanted to ask about the record store because I know that's a big part of, you know, who you are and how you live. And you talked about collecting records and it's, it's like a manifest. So you know, what's, what's the deal? I see different videos with like vocab company. You're doing your verse in the record store and you often <laughs> write your stories from the perspective of being behind the counter at the record store. So fill us in on that a little bit. Yeah, it's funny. I, I kind of disappointed my mom because, you know, I had this degree in psychology and she was like, well, what are you going to do? And I'm like, well, I think I'm going to drive to California and get a job at a record store. And she was like, ah, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I don't think that's what she had planned for me, you know? Um, but so I, did exactly that drove to california got a job at a record store i worked at music trader for like a year or two years or something like that then i did the music thing just professionally was just touring around and didn't have a day job and then when i stopped touring as much i got a job at a place called cow records in ocean beach i worked there for 13 years and now i'm a part owner of a record store called vinyl junkies in uh, south park but, uh, you know, I've always been uh, just hitting thrift stores, hitting swap meets, hitting yard sales, you know, find what kind of gems you can. And, you know, what's great for me is like a, as an artist, as a songwriter, to just have this well of inspiration to pull from, you know. Um, one of the cool things about the vinyl collecting is like I found records that like, you know, there may be only one known copy in the world, you know, some demo record that a group put out, you know. 50 years ago and they never got picked up by a label, but there was an acetate at the Santee swap meet. And like, you know, as far as I'm concerned, like that's archeology, span you know, it's history. And uh, just because it was the only one ever and no one picked it up, you know, I've still found like great music, you know? 
And uh, just there's a thrill of the hunt side of that. And then there's just also finding these gems to reflect on. And I've always felt like that's kind of my own career is that like, you know, I never had like a, a huge audience, you know, like I have some, some followers and some loyal folks who like listen, but I'm hoping that at some point, 20, 30 years from now, someone finds a gem and is like, huh, this cat was on something. This is really good, you know? And a lot of times that's, that's what music is. And you realize when you're digging through like stacks and stacks of records, like how infinite it is, you know, like I remember, I remember when MySpace was a thing and you were just looking at all these different bands that had a MySpace account. And I was like, my God, like this is, this is crazy. This is this moment where there's so many bands, but then streaming happens and then there's Spotify and you're like, wow, it's even more infinite. But then when you're looking through like, a warehouse of 45s it's always been the case you know there's always been just like a sea of music some of it like rises to the top but it's not always like the best thing that rises to the top there's so much you know unheard music that's just a gem out there that you gotta dig a little for yeah that's the you know the art of digging crates if you will at least before the sort of commercial resurgence of vinyl collecting like you never knew what you could find at the swap meet or at somebody's grandpa's collection that's collecting dust. And a lot of times that's like becomes your favorite shit ever. So I know the yep. feeling and I know that streaming and the internet has, you know, put everything at people's fingertips and it sort of takes away from that process of staring at a cover who produced or engineered this, who was the bass player, the drummer, like that's all the kind of stuff you thought about before you bought a CD or even spent $3 on a bargain bin record. And yep. that the there's a gift and a curse, the information highway. And I think it's a beautiful thing because it enables you to reach people you never otherwise would have um, by the magic of the interwebs. But it does take a little bit more than a little bit of the, the passion and the, the determination and discipline of thumbing through records in a moldy basement. Um, Sometimes then, I think about when I used to have like 10 cassettes, you know, and I just knew those cassettes like inside out. You know what I mean? Like you, one yeah. song finishes and you know what's coming next, you know? Yeah. And there was just a familiarity that I feel like goes missing when you have like a billion cassettes in your pocket. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like you go to listen to something and like after 15 seconds, you're like, man, I want to hear something else because I can, you know? And I feel like, like you said, you, you lose something to gain everything, you know? But yeah. it's pretty incredible at the same time. And it's it's also kind of cool that you've been able to, since this is your passion and, and somehow you've navigated a way where you can work at these different record stores and now be a co-owner and and basically like participate and facilitate that lost passion for people, you know, for the next generation. Because if there weren't people like y'all, it would either be non-existent or some corporate shit. And yep. uh, you need heads, you know, like thrift store, you know, di crate digging heads, making it happen. And uh, we appreciate it. I wanted to ask a little bit about San Diego in general, because I know you've been there for quite a while. Um, and specifically the projects and bands you were performing in uh, at the time before the pandemic hit. I, I heard you say we're on an interview recently, you were in five active bands. And then I review the spotify feed and there's even more than five that you're writing for 
Um, yeah. As much as or as little as you want to get into, what, what were the projects that were active and, and maybe a little bit about your favorite ones? Yeah, well, I had a I had a kind of collective called the Redwoods Collective. And um, we kind of took that Stax approach to music where we had a house band who played on everyone's records. And, um, you know, different singers were doing lead on one record, but then they'd sing backing vocals on another record. And uh, we put out a lot of albums in a short period of time. I actually just realized since I've been in San Diego and I'm 42 years old, I've put out 30 records, um, all different genres, you know, but a lot of the same musicians because you find, you know, folks, you know, how to paint with and that's that's the palette to use, you know. Um, but there was a band called uh, The Midnight Pine, Birdie Bardo, Cardinal Moon, Rebecca Jade and the Cold Fact, uh, Danny Bell and the Tarantist. And then I also played in a group called The Heavy Guilt. And then I uh, was writing for a couple of different projects as well. But, um, yeah, man, all those all those albums, like, I'm really proud of all those records. You know, there's a lot of great songs out there, and the musicians that played on those albums are just really incredible players and just humans in general. So, yeah, if you ever get a chance, you know, I, I know there's, like, a playlist, I think, on the front front page of my website, but, yeah, check it out. Yeah, definitely. We'll put that in the show notes and and a link to the playlist as well. Just a little further on that. Um, so when you're writing for five artists across the board, uh, different genres, do, are you writing specifically for each band? And and if so, like, do you like inhabit a different persona or character or perspective uh, for each project or is it sort of just a pool of songs and then they go to whichever group they go to it's kind of always worked a few different ways but i always try to write very intentional intentionally for the vocalist you know because if it like i feel like some of the early albums i did when i was writing for other vocalists people could hear me in the song and i don't want that to happen because then it's like a tad disingenuous you know so I always try to like know the personality of the singer I'm working with, like know what feels comfortable word wise, thematically, you know, what goes with the music that that band does. And I try to write those kind of songs, you know, every once in a while, just, you know, just since we're all kind of friends and we all listen to a lot of similar stuff, there'll be some spillover where, you know, you come up with a song, you're like, man, this song could work really well for Birdie, but like, ah, oh, it would sound cool as a Pine song too. So, you know, you just kind of, figure out like who who needs that song but i feel like i did a better job like the more music i wrote just finding the right homes for the right words and that's been like for the alfred howard rides project that's been like a big growing point for me is like when i'm like looking to work with a singer like i'll just obsess over their catalog for a couple hours and then just try to write like four or five songs that I could hear that voice delivering and it sounding like a natural thing that they would write, you know? And that's like the highest praise I've gotten is from some of the singers just being like, man, like I felt like one of my own songs. And I'm like, good. That's like, it should. Cause if it doesn't, it, I don't think it works. That is high praise right on. Yeah. Let's, let's talk a little bit about that process then. Um, the hundred songs. So, I mean, there's a number of artists that I'm, you know, familiar with, fan of that you work with, but also a bunch that I'm totally unfamiliar with or relatively outside of, you know, what you write 
to accompany the song. So how do you go about reaching out? I know, you know, for instance, uh, Brad Barr, the Barr Brothers, et cetera, um, Nathan Moore, Vocab Company, Nikki Bloom. Those are all artists that, you know, my listeners are going to be like, sweet, I need to hear that. Um, so how does that work with artists that aren't uh, native to the San Diego scene uh, versus, you know, some of the people in your community that you either have collaborated with or cold call? I know you do a bit of that, too. Yeah, it's been great. Like a lot of things, you know, there's like tributaries to the river, you know, like the one of the first songs I did was with Nathan and uh, Nathan hit up Brad and Brad played guitar on it. And I was like, hey, do you mind like just playing a little seed in Brad's ear? Maybe uh, maybe he'd do one of my songs. And, you know, Brad and I had like a we, we became very quick, like text friends, you know. Um. So, yeah, Brad wrote this song and it was it was beautiful, man. And he sent it back right away. And um, honestly, that was one of the early ones in the project. And I'm like a big Bar Brothers fan. And I had never, like, I had met Brad at High Sierra. In fact, I performed with him, like, one time a long time ago. Um, but I don't think we ever really had a conversation before the pandemic. And uh, we really bonded over that song. We were, like, fast friends. And, and it was it was just great. You know, like, a lot of musicians have downtime because we're not really gigging right now. So I would cold call people, you know, a lot of people probably were like, who is this weird dude like reaching out and he's doing a project with his mom? Like, I don't know this guy. I'm not going to respond. But then a lot of people were like, all right, that sounds intriguing, you know. Um, But it would always work best if I if we had one mutual friend, you know. So a lot of folks, I'd do a song with them for the project. I'd be like, hey, is there anyone you can think of that like? you think would would enjoy this process you know and um yeah it's it's just kind of ballooned out from there and i didn't know it's funny i didn't know if it would be a hard thing or an easy thing to find all these different collaborate collaborators and it's definitely it's a challenge because uh i know how to work with the people i work with you know we've been making records for years and i know what people's schedules are like i know who might not text me back for a week and that's okay. And, you know, I just know how people work, but like working with all these people I've never worked with before, you know, it's like, it's a, it's hard to wrangle the whole thing together. And then we start doing things where someone might write an idea on guitar and I'd be like, you know what? I can hear like a rhythm section behind that. You know, do you mind if I send it to my drummer? And, you know, there's been all this cross pollination of all these different music scenes and people who have like, never really met each other, might know something about the other person, but then they wind up doing the song together. And it's, it's been an amazing thing to be a part of, you know, and be sort of orchestrating or curating, if you will. Right on. Yeah. I, I love, uh, the slip and, you know, I'm not sure that I saw the, whether or not you sat in with them at that particular high Sierra, but I kind of, that's just such a halcyon, time in my life those early 2000s high sierra and like the bands i found out of like the the northeast jam scene i lived in vermont for a while and found the slip back then so it just it's amazing to see the different uh tributaries as you so eloquently stated and so that's the musical side of it and of course you've adapted your penchant for uh short story writing to accompany the songs where when does moms get involved <laughs> mom uh as soon as the sometimes i'll send her like the demo but usually like 
once the song is all tracked, I send the music down to my mom and she'll listen to the piece like five or six times and just paint, you know, whatever comes to her. It's really interesting too, because she'll usually do like, you know, three or four paintings per song and kind of give me options to choose from. And I'll notice that all, all four paintings that she does have like a similar color scheme to it. So she really like kind of hears like certain colors that a voice like just triggers in her in her mind and it's really funny because she doesn't know all the musicians but one of the singers is a gal named jen grinnells and she i noticed that like jen did a piece early on and then she did another piece like 30 songs later and my mom used the same exact colors for both pieces without knowing who it was you know so i don't know my mom just hears hears these visions you know when she hears these songs and it's been great you know it's kept my mom busy you know like this whole project is born out of the pandemic so it's been like a good way to spend that time you know my mom's 74 years old so she's in the the higher risk population and she's very careful she's not going out and doing things so she's kind of isolated right now you know and i get down there she doesn't live too far so i get down there a couple times a week but you know we're both being pretty careful so, you know, it's it's just good that she has this uh, creative outlet as well. Indeed. Yeah, I think that that's such a potent part of it on a lot of levels. Obviously, just what you describe with the the artistic response to the music, just kind of painting and how organic that is right down to the fact that she's pairing the same colors with the same voice unknowingly. I mean, that just really speaks to the depth of the her process or where she goes to create. And yeah, I often look forward to seeing the accompanying image. Um, real quick sidebar, are, are they available to be purchased? The, the watercolor? Yep. All the paintings are available on the website. Right on. Yeah. Well, well, like I said, we'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. And, and with regard to the connection with mom, uh, you know, resonates with me i have a deep musical relationship with my own mother uh who took me to the see the orchestra in philadelphia every month when i was a kid and played classical piano for a long time and then into adulthood uh i don't play so much music anymore but she comes to new orleans jazz fest with me every year and you know she goes to all the shows in philly when i'm not even there anymore um she listens to this pod i'm sure she's going to hear this and be really uh moved to hear of you know, your relationship with your mom and how that's manifested through art and just as a response to this confounding time, epic pause, etc. Um, it's medicine. I mean, music is medicine. So this project for you is medicine. It's medicine for you and your mom. And then you bequeath that to the culture. And like I told you, I did a trip to the East Coast to visit. You might not remember, but that's kind of why I put uh, this on hold. I wanted to sink into your work a bit. Um it's medicine. That's the best way I can put it. Like, uh, to, to hear the fruits of this experience, put to music and put to color and the written word, the whole package. So I hope people are excited. Uh, if they're not aware to check out, uh, your hundred songs project still got like one third to go. And, and so far so great. Um, Thanks. wanted to finish up with something kind of heavy. I'm sure you've talked about it at length, uh, which is the, I love America piece. Oh yeah, man. Uh, you know, remember when it dropped, revisited it again this week. It hits a little different in the post-45 era. 
Uh, <laughs> I was wondering about that. Yeah. Um, it's funny because, man, like, uh, I'm a guy who seldom leaves the house uh, without a 40-year-old polyester butterfly collar. I keep a pretty tight fro, and I'm a tall, skinny guy. So uh, I'm already like, wow, this guy is, is just like symbiosis there. But, like, the <laughs> I love America thing uh, spoke uh, so profoundly to how I felt, how I feel, um, a commonality between, uh, people of different geography, races, socioeconomic. Um, it's, it really is just deep brother. And, uh, I just wanted to ask, um, what reflections you have, uh, creating that. Cause you know, you put that out before the pandemic, before all the insanity. I mean, we all knew it was coming, but you really, uh, eloquently and powerfully and you know you didn't like mince words um and those chickens indeed have come home to roost so <laughs> any uh reflections or commentary on that experience and poem you know it's the funny thing is it's a really old poem that i wrote a long time ago and then a, a couple people asked me you know leading up to the election if i would do something with it and I was like, well, if I'm going to do something with it, I'd like to kind of update it for for the moment, you know. So I rewrote the second half of it. The first half is kind of like this praise of the American experience. And it's all the things that I've enjoyed in America, you know, whether it was like going to Arches National Park or listening to Electric Ladyland or Bob Dylan on a winding road or whatever it may be, you know. Um, there's been so many just things that have been created in America, music, culture, art, um, and just, just beautiful natural landscapes. And, you know, that's, that's, there's not like one side that owns patriotism. You know, I, I feel that you can be patriotic. You can love this place and you can also critique it for like all the things that go wrong here, which there's a multitude of, you know, and I save the, the latter half for that critique, that, that, that part, you know, because I want to break the ice, you know, the biggest problem that we have in America right now is that like, there's like a lot of division and the two sides don't even speak the common tongue. You know, we kind of have forgotten that we're all brothers here. Like we all came up here and like, you know, we have more in common than different, you know? But we just have this tendency these days to, like, focus on the, the vast differences, you know. So I just wanted to open it up in this way that's like, hey, like, I also love this place, you know. But these are the things that, like, are wrong with with this. And these are the things that need to be addressed and need to be repaired, you know. Um, I wrote it initially, like, during the Gulf War. And I was reading a different poem at a protest. And this guy came right up to me. He said, if you don't like America, you can get the fuck out of here, you know? And I was like, I tried to have a conversation with him, but he was just like so full of just venom and anger that he wouldn't speak to me. He was just yelling. And I was like, what could I say to someone like that? Like, how would I want to like open my, my statement or my, my argument or rebuttal to them? You know, like, actually I do like America, you know, that's why I'm here protesting because I would like America to be better because I think that it could be, you know? So that was uh that was the whole reason behind that poem and uh, yeah that was a it was a heavy piece to write cuz I don't really write spoken word much 
anymore. You know, I, I much prefer writing like songs and melodies and writing for vocalists who are much more capable than I am, you know, but I felt like I had something to say in the moment and I needed to say it. So that's where that one came from. Word. And in the video uh, is a powerful accompaniment and yeah, the whole thing, like I said, it hits a little different in 2021, no less potent, like just kind of a bit of a, wow, told you so kind of vibe. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I'm glad we made it through like what I'm hoping is the darkest part of that chapter. Well, history will tell. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, this is generally, uh, we don't get too into politics. It's funny. Carl probably got about as political as anyone when I had him on. Uh, but I'm curious just whether it's down there in San Diego or just your perspective. Do you, do you believe that? Do you believe that, uh, the worst is over? Um, or are you not, uh, maybe a little concerned about the aftershocks? I don't believe the worst is over. You can't just, you know, Trump, I think it's, it's weird because Trump being off Twitter is like a, it's tremendous, you know, to kind of like mute him, you know, but this is nothing you can just put a bandage on, you know, like all those problems are still there. He was just the amplifier for them, you know, but like they, they kind of found themselves under him and, you know, these people are united and they, they sort of see a mission, you know, and there's just like these heroic doses of misinformation out there that it's just scary to the point where you have two people arguing over the color red, you know? Um, so I don't know how this is going to play out, you know, seeing that the Capitol building insurrection, I was terrifying and I don't think it was the end of something. If anything, I think it was the beginning. So I don't know. I'm a, I'm a student of history, so I'll, I'll watch how it plays out and I'll participate in as much of it as possible, you know? Oh, I'm not in the prediction making business, but, uh, I think we're at the beginning of something. But, you know, being at the beginning of something is good. Hopefully there's some healing in there too. Indeed. Yeah. I feel similarly. We've talked a bit on the podcast just about the cross section of, of sort of the new age festival world, you know, wellness, yoga, burner community and, and a lot of the sort of right wing crossovers, QAnon, obviously. So that's been a topic on the pod and, uh, it's never more salient than in the aftermath of the Capitol. And if anything, you should, you know, hang your proverbial hat on the fact that, you know, you are doing the work just by making the art and the people are better for it. So, you know, we're, uh, we're documentarians, you know, music is a newspaper. So that's, that's our job is to reflect upon the society that presents itself to us and, you know, just sing about what we know, what's real. And that's, you know, doing this project in this kind of way where the songs have to get turned around a lot quicker than you would if you were like recording an album or something like that. It allows you to be responsive, you know? So I've always considered that like a responsibility is to respond to what I see, you know? And it doesn't always have to be a political piece, you know? It can be a love song and, and something, you know, more positive. But it's been, uh, it's been a bit of both of those, you know? I think there's room for all of it. We need all of it. We need the yep. lessons and the love stories and, and all points between. So that's yeah, a man. umbrella. <laughs> Where uh, is the best place for people to find you? 
Oh, so if you go to alfredhowardwrites.com, and that's W-R-I-T-E-S, alfredhowardwrites.com, that's my website. Um, we do the subscriptions there. We have all the artwork. All the songs are available there. And, uh, you know, you can contact me through there. Um, you can email me at alfredhoward23 at gmail.com. If, uh, if the year has been tough and you can't afford a subscription, just email me and I'll, I'll give you one for free. But if you can't afford one, I appreciate the support. It's very helpful. I use all the money to just pay the musicians. Um, I don't, I don't really, I don't get a dime from this, you know, like there's the potential to if it were to blow up. But right now I'm just trying to help folks out because I know a lot of us aren't, aren't working right now in that regard, you know. I'm fortunate enough to like have a day job and, uh, you know, I can, I can do this and just keep the project going. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely bury all the, uh, links and playlists, et cetera, in the show notes. And, uh, every once in a while, I like to end these kind of conversations with something just kind of off the cuff. Um, is there an album, old or new, a song, an artist that is getting you through this, uh, pandemic this year? Obviously, you're making music all the time, every week. Just curious if there's something that you would suggest. Man, I, there's this band called Timber Tambor, and I love them. They're so good. I listen to them as often as I can. It's kind of moody, um, rainy day music, but it's it's just the best, man. I would check out Timber Tambor. Let's see. Hot Dreams or the self-titled album is a good place to start. Um, but, yeah, they're great. I was talking to Brad Barr, and uh, apparently, like, he used to be neighbors with uh, with a couple of the guys. I think the drummer and the singer, or something like that. But I think they might have moved to Austin. But great band, Timber Tamber. Got it. Right on, man. Well, I really appreciate your time and uh, your story, your energy, and of course the music. I give thanks. Hey, thank you for having me, brother. You have a good afternoon. Honey, did you see the headline? Are you following the phone wires stitching up the nation in conversation? Can't believe my own eyes. I want to say thanks to Alfred Howard. AlfredHowardWrites.com. Check out the project. I'll leave a link in the show notes. And you heard us talk a bit about I Love America, spoken word piece that rocked me then and now so uh before we get to the second interview i'm going to play i love america in full there's a couple versions that float around but this one is nearly seven minutes uh the one that i referenced in the interview so this is i love america alfred howard you heard a little bit of co-authors uh, brad Barr's collaboration with alfred howard for the alfred howard rights project check that out really cool connection with his mom and fellow musicians and as you heard it's a pretty unique guy this is a big alfred howard house we appreciate the time and energy here comes i love america from alfred howard i love america let me repeat this i love america I love hair in the breeze, 70 degrees, palm trees and SD. I love pokies and OB. I love this freedom that I breathe. I love this life that I lead. I love thrift stores and vinyl archaeology. 
Digging in crates for 70s gems, the wind through my window, a pen in my afro. I love getting drenched by sound showers, the power of Jimi Hendrix ripping purple haze 75 miles per hour down this twisting highway. When the sun greets the day until it sinks into waves, I love the people all shades of skin, the true beauties within. I love this world like my kin, I'll turn enemies to friends. I love the music that breathes with its kick drum heartbeat when it speaks in the evening, weaving the fabric that holds us together through all kinds of weather. I love the scenery evolving on into the ever. Crimson canyons layered with mystery and history, the red rocks reminding me of ancient mystic entities, the clear blue waters of a mountain stream running underneath massive aged sequoia trees, the bayou-soaked humidity of the southeast, 90 degrees and sticky like molasses. I spent years on this road with rose-tinted sunglasses. Mapping the vastness which exists in my heart I love the full moon above which illuminates the dark I love Central Park and its rusted fall bloom Blooming flowers in June and extensive sand dunes I love being in tune Surrendering to the flow of surroundings Astounding pounding visuals in the peripheral I love the miracles which cooperate to make this exist It's bliss when I'm kissed by these waves of sensation Inhaling this chaos to exhale liberation I love underground hip-hop exploring equations like listening to Black Star in my burgundy car, race alone in my Mission Hills home. I love the quantum truth speakers, youth teachers, young urban preachers with abstract features like Aesop Rock, an orthodox style, reminded of miles of instrumentation, miles of Davis blowing oasis, just blowing out desolation and blowing out pavement. I love Abby Hoffman and his Woodstock Nation. I love America. Elegant like Ellington, abstract is Eiler, it's laughing hysterically at old Richard Pryor. America is Coltrane, it is pleasure and pain, it's a high school memory of Prince Purple Rain. America is Mingus, Guthrie, Langston Hughes. America is barbecue, America is blues. America is city lights, America is monk. America is rock and roll, rhythm and funk. Saxophone solos, so full of soul like Sly Stone's family with so many tones. It's Gil Scott Heron on the roof reading poems. It's knowing the side streets and the quickest route home. It's Sam Cooke with the gospel giving me chills. It's a young Aretha Franklin making time stand still. It's Afrocentrism, black culture with wisdom. It's late 60s hippies, no belief in a system. It's Berkeley students and Panthers hand in hand on a mission. It's the moment when Maya told me why caged birds sings. It's the time James Addiction said all now with wings. It's Henry David Thoreau and civil disobedience. It's your grandmother's cooking with the secret ingredients. It's an Amanda Ziller action thriller. It's a silent killer with a violent filter. It's being blazed on the PCH winding road on a summer day. It's me adjusting the level and raising the treble on a murder city devil CD going 60 on a meandering road as the cold wind blows through my windows around Lake Tahoe on the way to the show arriving in the nick of time. It's a nick or a dime in Washington Square Park. It's a freestyle rhyme in a back parking lot. It's the drum circles echo just before the dark. It's the brush and the paper, the mother and father of art. It's the rhythm that's pounding within all our hearts that are steadily beating and changing like seasons, I pledge allegiance to reason and allegiance to equals, not allegiance to these demons deceiving our people. As we live through this golden age of misinformation, state-run media is on the local station, pandemic hits home, president takes a vacation to make Twitter rants about his victimization, to work on his golf swing while a nation can't breathe, to talk about ratings while a nation can't grieve, to push fake cures until a nation drinks bleach, alternative facts fill an abrasive blank speech, spin the wheel of misfortune brought to you by climate change, did you get California flames or New Orleans hurricanes and the economy is broken unless your occupation is digging graves for the greatest generation? And today we've managed to mock education as if knowledge were flaw and I'm still in awe of a criminal giving me lectures on law and order. When chaos and disorder is all this man knows, caging children at the border is how low we will go. But that was the dawn of this social limbo. There's good folks on both sides. A young woman dies. Nazis taking joy rides and marching with fire. Rest in peace, Heather Heyer. 
So you don't want us to take to the streets, suggest we find ways to protest peacefully. But you didn't take kindly when we took to one knee. In fact, you took to one knee and you placed it on our necks and you held it there for eight minutes and 46 seconds. Try holding your breath, see how far you can get with freedom, the one goal at the end of all of this. See freedom and diversity make America great, not ranting and raving, division and hate, not turning our streets into a police state and blaming your successor on what you created and blaming your predecessor for a disease devastating, wielding fear as a weapon to mobilize a base, fear of unknown things that they'll never face, fear of a woman's rights, fear of a race, fear of a future the changes we'll make, fear of moving forward, fear of evolution, fearful of science, fear this revolution, cause revolution's coming and it will be televised, you'll have to watch it on Fox with your eyes open wide, because the future moves forward, that's the trajectory of time, and your campaign slogans about looking behind, your pandemic response was to turn a blind eye, to turn a deaf ear when they speak of the dying. It is what it is, your relief to those crying. You managed to politicize the disease as if COVID-19 cared what you believed in as we clutched to our chest saying we couldn't breathe. George Floyd, rest in peace. This is the year of short breath, and my 2020 vision sees nothing ahead. America is wounded and inching towards death, but this is our land, so we stand up for it. And if you think patriotism stops at waving the red, white, and blue when the red, white, and blue lights flash behind you, if you're black, then you're scared because there's a black and blue bruise on your mind from the phantom batons that they've used to beat down your soul since it set foot in new sand, from slavery shackles to the cuffs on your hand. And you vote and you hope and you plot and you plan and you work and you sweat and you live for this land and you do what it takes to make it good as you can. And you'll bend till you break for the sake of your family and you speak out against the atrocities you see, and you're willing to die in the streets for beliefs. That's patriotism. Not waving a flag for some misguided vision. Rooted in division, America is fading past my recognition, and I love America, just not your rendition. Where the emperor sits naked on his golden throne and we film a mass shooting on a cellular phone and we don't even blink because we're numb to our bones and the cyclone of news is the way the wind blows and we still don't need a weatherman to know. And we may be isolated, but we're never alone. We'll braid our voices in the streets into a beautiful poem. And I look at every face and see a rainbow of tones. I love America, won't let it sink like a stone. And you may yell at me to leave, but this is always my home. second interview on episode 41 it's an honor and a privilege to welcome ms talia keys now i got hip to talia keys uh through Maitiana morales who 
used to be with the Pimps of Joy Time. Now she's with Walk Talk, and she was on this podcast a couple years ago, and I saw Talia make some commentary in there that piqued my curiosity, and we connected, and shortly thereafter, I saw a video of her on stage with a guitar, uh, catching a pair of panties on the headstock mid-solo, and I was just like, yes, that is a badass right there, and been following her career ever since. Uh, she has her own solo project, Talia Keys, and uh, does the live looping show, also Gemini Mind, but really what I'm digging is the Talia Keys and the Love Project, which is her in a band, including uh, Dave Brogan from ALO. You're hearing a track from their debut record, We Are Here. The song's called Integrity. And yeah, I've been angling to do some coverage on Talia Keys for some time, and finally came to fruition deep into quarantine. Uh, she's got a radio show on krcl.org. You can catch that on Mixcloud as well. I'll leave a bunch of links in the show notes. But in addition to being a credible multi-instrumentalist, guitar player, singer-songwriter, she's an activist to the core, um, a freedom fighter, LGBTQ rights. She fights racism, fights fascism. She's vehemently pro-cannabis and her career and her life and her cultural experience is rooted in Salt Lake City, Utah. So it's an interesting story uh, given her progressive values and coming of age in that environment. So we get into all that as well as Rock Camp SLC and a whole lot more with Ms. Talia Keys. So, So those are Just a few of the reasons why I was anxious to catch up with her. We'll hear a little bit more of Integrity from Talia Keys and the Love. And then we'll hear from Talia herself. Talia. Hey, B, how's it going? Good, good. Thanks for making the time for the Up Full Life podcast. Uh, it is my honor, man. I have been listening to your podcast on and off through this whole quarantine, so it's rad. It's full, full circle. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really reassuring to hear, and I appreciate you tuning in. And, and yeah, I've been a fan of yours for a minute now. I was thinking back, you know, we'd exchanged some emails and conversations a while ago. So it, it's actually my honor, too, to finally have you on the show. I've been meaning to do some coverage, been a fan for a minute. So, yeah, the feelings are mutual and reciprocal. Awesome. Right on. Yeah. So um, for, like, maybe some of my listeners who may not be familiar with your story, let's start just kind of maybe with the basics, get some foundation familiarity, and maybe I'll even learn a thing or two myself. 
right just on. like where am I talking to you from and and like you know define yourself as a musical artist as much or as little as feels comfortable sweet well I'm born and raised based out of Salt Lake City Utah uh, not a spot where you would think my type of music or personality would come from but we are abundant here um, I'm a queer outspoken politically driven activist uh, female identifying musician and it fully independent and kind of just been playing nonstop playing my ass off touring the United States the last six plus years playing with my band doing solo looping um, and you know music's just been our thing it's been how I've made my money my career my passion uh yeah and so it's good it's good to get some exposure outside of utah you know because you would it is it's hard for people here to really break out unless you leave i know what you mean and and i've lived in some smaller areas i talked to you from the bay right now and i'm from the philly area but i lived in like north florida and vermont so yeah. i know like the regional thing and especially when you're, you know, in insular communities like, say, Utah, it might be hard to break out. But I found you through social media and, you know, social media gets a bad rap and deservably so it can be certainly toxic yep. and <laughs> disinformation and all that stuff. But well, the beauty there is that, you know, I'm able to contact and connect with, learn about, listen to artists like yourself. You're still reaching people all over the place through the magic of the interwebs. Oh, if it wasn't for social media right now, our career would be non-existent. Um, and that's kind of crazy because I fully have to embrace it, fully have to use it as the tool. Um, and we used it before to market, you know, and to reach audiences. We do tour and play music festivals, and it's been incredible to keep fans that way. But, you know, since COVID hit, this is our main and only source of income has been live streaming from the home studio. So I'm thankful for it. You know, I, I do tend to fight trolls being who I am and I can sit and waste my time, you know, having political arguments or this and that. But the beauty is that I can play my music and people from all over the world can tune in and hear what I have to say. It's It's crazy. Yeah, that's awesome, too, that, you know, People probably have a strange perception of the U.S. in general right now. It probably forever, but certainly yeah. how weird and angry and violent and dark things have become, you know, past four years or even just yeah. in the COVID era. Um, so to get a, people wherever, Australia, Europe, South America, to get a, be able to get a glimpse of, of artists like yourself and, and not just making music, but, you know, your messaging and what you stand for and how you live it, you know, it, it's not all what you see on Twitter or on the news. Like, there's beautiful stuff happening in the darkness, and I think you're a really amazing example of that. So, Thank that, you so that's much. why I'm calling you. That's why I wanted to talk, because I feel like uh, your voice, your music, your message, and just, like, who you are, uh, it would really resonate with a lot of people. And I, I was looking back at the email you sent me when we first connected. The first sentence is, I am here to fuck shit up. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and I was like, I like this girl already, you know? Thanks, man. Yeah. Well, that's that Philly, you know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but I do. I mean, I just feel like ever since I was a kid, I was a rebel. I, I was totally queer, whether I admitted it to myself or not, you know? Um, got a drum set at the age of nine, like typically in 1990, whenever that was, uh, girls were not playing the drums, you know, it just wasn't something you saw every day. 
Um, and so, and then I played baseball. It's like, come on. It, it was obvious. <laughs> but growing up in Utah with all that oppression and a big religious, you know, it's very Mormon here. I was lucky that I was not raised Mormon, uh, which is extremely rare. Um, but, you know, it can really kind of keep you stuck and keep you in the closet, keep you where you are. Uh, but for me, music was like that barrier. Music is what helped me come out of the closet. Music's what gave me the platform to exist and, you know, try to help people see people like me, right? You know, just my partner and I traveling to South Carolina, right, or the South or anywhere around there, anywhere, Idaho, <laughs> we, just us being there, looking the way we look, we stand out. But what it does is it creates conversation. It creates people to have to see me. Like if I play a restaurant in a small town in Florida, those people have to hear me <laughs> and they have to see me. You can't deny it. Right. Um, but music was the reason. So it's the passion. It's it's I hate to sound cliche, but I do feel like I was born to do it. And then just being who we are, we have to fuck shit up. Like I'm so proud of the activism that has exploded all across this nation and the world for that matter. Like, I am so just, like, very proud of people standing up for Black Lives Matter. That's no longer this cliche statement, um, standing up for LGBTQ rights and trans rights. Like, I see that the darkness is almost behind us. You know, I don't want to, like, woof, I don't want to jinx us for this shit. But um, I see this beautiful stuff happening, and I don't know that it would have happened had it not been so dark, had we not been brought down so hard by the administration and the system, you know? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's inspiring to hear you have such a positive take on it. Yeah. I was going to just, I really wanted to start the music, but you opened the door to the to activism and social justice. So let's go there first. Um, yeah. You know, I've been kind of wondering just cause it seemed, I would have said, you know, in years past, especially living on the West coast, and then San Francisco, which is a bastion of just, you know, everything beautiful, kaleidoscopic about gay culture, like lives freely here. So, yeah. you know, it's the almost the the yang to uh, Utah's yin. You <laughs> absolutely. Know? Absolutely. And, and, and I was lucky and blessed to, you know, my mom brought me up like with no prejudices, quite the opposite, and put me in front of people of color and gay people since I was a little boy. And it's always been embraced. But I know that that's not everyone's reality. And I guess what I was th saying is, like, it seemed like we would be trending in a righteous direction. Although lately, um, it seems like it, maybe not so. Do you feel like, you know, like you said, we're really kind of getting over that hump? Because maybe we were moving backwards with some of legislation and, and starting from the government and sort of mindsets that maybe were, it wasn't okay to be openly hateful towards anyone until yeah. recently and now yeah. it's it's people are emboldened so i'm alternately buoyed by the progress and 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 terrified of of the hatred yeah well what i have to say to that is it's never okay to to treat someone any differently or discriminate anyone because of who they are who they love what they look like what their religion is i mean that goes from left to right um but i am all the way left let's be honest here and I just think that we are seeing it more now because it's being rooted out, you know, and there's way, way, way. Yeah, there's way more people I feel like 
in the United States who are for racial justice, who are for diversifying um, and inclusion. I really do. I really feel that. And the only way I can feel that is that I have toured the U.S. in my van six years playing anything from a music venue all the way down to some like horrible restaurant, you know, where two people are there. But we have played the small towns. We've played the big cities. We've played it all. And the majority of our experiences have been positive and, and good. You know, I can count on my left hand. Now this is going to come from a place of privilege being a white queer woman, uh, but I can count on my left hand instances where I faced discrimination for being queer or where we felt like we weren't safe, you know. Um, and that is, that's from a place of privilege for sure. Now, I have had some run-ins with the cops and they did not go well. And I do feel like that is because I am more of a non-binary presenting woman. You know, I, I like to wear my Jordans. I like to wear my basketball shorts when I'm chilling. Um, and I have been treated like shit by police. I have been handcuffed really forcefully and thrown to the ground uh, just for some marijuana. And just that small, I can only imagine how other people on this planet feel because they are just targeted almost every day, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You hear stories from the old timers, especially, you know, black musicians that from the Chitlin circuit and stuff. And yeah, obviously that's another whole reality, but at the end of the day, there's, you know, the prejudice is alive and, and maybe not well, sounds like you it's feel like well. it, it's I getting think, rooted out and I do. That I think, feels good to hear. Yeah. Not fast enough. Obviously like it's, it's 2020, you know, the music right. that speaks to my soul is a lot of the older stuff like Bob Marley and, uh, you know, Marvin Gaye and a lot of the old soul music and the political music from back then, like Woodstock, all those bands, Sly and the Family Stone, they wrote political music and it is almost just as, it is just as relevant now as it was back then. We're just seeing it differently. We're seeing a lot more mass incarceration, uh, incarceration, we're seeing police getting away with murder, just being able to shoot someone and nothing happen. Um, and it's, it's almost like things aren't changing, but I think the beast has been awoken as far. And when I say the beast, I'm like, white folk are forced to see it. We're forced to come face to face with our internalized racism that we grew up with, you know, being a white girl in Utah. Like you don't realize it until you sit down and realize it. <laughs> um, but We've yeah, had so, the time to, to really look inward, like with everything stopping, slowing down, everyone on their phones or watching television. Yeah. We've been forced to actually look outside, look inside. Absolutely. And you're right. You know, it's it's been a awakening of sorts um, and also, like I said, kind of terrifying. So that, that was a yeah. big part of why I wanted to check in with you is just kind of hear how it felt. Uh, as yeah, somebody that's I mean, actually like living be on the other end of some of that misguided and naive and ignorance. Yeah. I mean, recently my partner and I had to get out of town. So we went up to a small spot in Idaho, truck pulled up and shot its gun out the window several times, put its car in reverse, like, full on tried to intimidate us. And we're just watching the damn sunset, you know, like, so more than I, I have to say, like those previous six years, those five years previous to this, you did see things and microaggressions happen more often. Right. Because of Trump, he did. He did empower people to feel like that their racism was OK, uh, but they still it's dirty. They know it's dirty. They know it's wrong. 
Um, and I just, there's a lot less of them than there are good people. And I really, truly do believe that. I hate, I don't want to sound like I'm the, a positive, you know, just a positive person because I no, definitely am you pissed are. off. <laughs> I definitely am pissed off about a lot of shit. Um, you know, pre and kind of go back a little bit. Playing here in Utah, I have been fired from a majority of my gigs. You know, this is where you can get your good gigs up here. The ski resorts, which I worked at a ski resort for eight years. Definitely a place of privilege, uh, but definitely fun. You know, you would have your dance parties. You could play your jam band music. You could play whatever. Kids would rally. They would get down. Uh, but when Trump became president... I definitely started to push back and I definitely started to say, you know, I exist, I matter, you know, and uh, I would talk more politically. I would talk more about legalization of marijuana, something that is very dear to my heart. I talk about legalization of marriage, you know, and I lost literally 85 percent of my gigs here. And that to me was just this beautiful wake up call of like, yo, you have to get out of that small place, that small bubble that just refuses to accept you um and often i would just get the can you just play your music you know just play your music yeah the, the old shut up and dribble that they yeah tell you, you know I, and i'm like oh what for 300 bucks i'm gonna just play my music now kiss my ass <laughs> yeah but it lit a fire you know it lit a fire for me to like do bigger productions put my focus into theater shows doing ticketed events uh and really trying to bust out of it independent scene eventually hopefully getting management and a booking agent because currently i do all that you know and it's like when am i going to write songs when am I, the, you know covid changed that all but when i was touring and playing and doing management stuff and all the finance stuff and you know it just like can totally steal your soul but the beauty of covid <laughs> we got time <laughs> yeah that's all we got that's for sure that's all we got i know but yeah, you can get, you can certainly get bogged down as an independent artist, like doing the books and booking and promoting yourself. And I know you oh, got a, yeah. your partner helps out a lot. What, how do you guys work that out? Cause I, I found that a really cool, like, uh, dichotomy where you're in a partnership in life and then she's also essential to the gig. Yeah, absolutely essential. So Milan and I actually met at a blues jam at one of our old favorite clubs down in Salt Lake City. It's kind of like the one good scene that's happening where people can get and play some good music together. And we met over 10 years ago and just had this instant connection. And crazy thing is she's my first partner. She was the first person that I came out. I had to come out, you know, at the age of how old am I? 36. I had to come out at the age of 25, you know, which is crazy to keep that bottled up. But I little side note sorry um i did move away and went and spent a summer in san francisco so speaking of san Fran, yeah. i lived in mill valley and i was maria moldar's personal assistant for wow summer yeah amazing incredible. you know and that that experience there i know for sure that kick-started my soul being like you have to be true to yourself you have to come out you when you go home you're not going to be the same person and i just i can't I can't thank that experience enough. You know, I got to play music with Taj Mahal. We, we went to a blues jam on a Tuesday night on a boat in Sausalito. You know, I would often go down to the city by myself and just go to open jams or just go hear bands play. I went to festivals. Y'all have the best festivals. 
I think the first weekend when I lived there was Beta Breakers. So, like, that's what got me broken into San Fran. <laughs> Such a cool event, too. Oh, it is. And I was just like, whoa, people could be naked in the streets? What? <laughs> like, this would not fly in Utah. And it was just beautiful wake up. Um, but fast forward to meeting Milan, it took a little time. It took me a couple years from coming home to, from San Fran to meet her. But once we met, it was just this instant connection. Uh, she loves music. She just grew up loving music. Um, her and her family came over here from New Zealand when she was a kid. And her dad played music and has gorgeous voice. Her family members all sing. They all perform. So I just, it's so typical and cliche, but we were meant to meet. It was just like this universe smacking me in the face um, and said, here, you know, here's someone that is going to change your life. And I'm, I'm lucky. And she didn't do any live sound or website design or production or lights or any of that until, you know, a couple of years into our relationship. Um, she just loved it. She wanted to become a sound engineer and learn all about it. And she kicks ass like that. She gets this like fire. She's Virgo. She's just Virgo to the T. She gets a fire lit under her and she will figure out how to do something. And then she's like, I got to do it better each time. So I wouldn't be the artist uh, or the, be able to do the production that we're doing right now, live streaming. If it wasn't for her, I'm very lucky. Yeah, you sure are. That's a beautiful story, and I'm grateful that you shared it. And it's got to be awesome, you, you know, because I think a big part that artists struggle, again, when they're able and fortunate to tour, be on the road, is to be away from the partner. Yeah. Um, it, it's just the longing, and it, it can really tax relationships and tax the artist and tax the partner back at home. And exactly. so you get that. You get those miles together in the van and touring the cities and the sites. But you also sounds like you have, like, the best lighting designer, sound engineer you could ask for also. You know, yep. best of both yep. worlds, you know. And, and, you know, someone who knows the music, someone who is just as passionate and just as uh, political as I am. Uh, someone who cares, like it's, it's lucky, you know, and it hasn't been easy. Like, Oh my God, come on. Nothing two, good is no two of us touring together in a van 30 plus days. Like you show up to a gig and it's no one's there. And there's a note on the door. The venue's been closed. And then you're like, well, sweet. How am I supposed to get food for tonight? But so you deal with all these stresses, but I do, I fully believe like it can either break you or it can make you. And we're, we're lucky. We're lucky. We, we kind of like those five year five and year six and seven were really hard in our relationship. Um, but now it's, we're settling in and, you know, really COVID has said, what do we want? What's our future? What's, what's the plan? Like we're done kind of just, you know, rolling around and playing this gig or that gig. It's like, no, very intentional. What do we want? And it's, we want to keep doing this, you know, making music and bringing people together. Yeah, I look forward to when you, you can get back out and bring the music to the people, but also, you know, sink back into, you know, Salt Lake City. I know we have a mutual friend, Adam St. Simons, who's moved yep. there recently, and he's like, you know, neck deep in all the music stuff. And yeah. you to give me the 411, what's the scene like right now, or has it been like during COVID? Are people in general like doing the right thing, wearing masks, um, like minding themselves, or is it a, a state of denial? Like literally, I think it's, we literally are split down the middle here in Utah. I think that being, listen, 
listen, the Mormon church is kind of in control of a lot of people's opinions about things. They did not ever want to do a mask mandate. They did not want to cancel in-person uh, church. They don't want to cancel businesses because bottom line, they are a probably a trillion dollar business when you add up all assets and all sorts of things. But so therefore, a lot of the people here are in denial. There was huge anti-mask rallies, uh, concerts nonstop. Um, I do think some of our venues really did it with good intentions. They had mandatory masks. They did outdoor shows. They did social distancing. Like that is what I'm looking forward to this summer is getting to do some more of those things that feel safe, appropriate good for the mental health get out and shake your booties together seeing humans like what is that even like <laughs> but utah is in denial yeah i mean we haven't had any lockdowns here there was a two week where all the bars and restaurants had to be closed and that's about it and what it really does these smaller bars can open uh they for the longest time weren't they didn't have mask rules you know halloween hit and our numbers almost tripled and Thanksgiving hit, and then our numbers almost triple again. And now I'm, I just don't even know what's going to happen after Christmas. Um, I'm type 1 diabetic. I've been diabetic since I was 10 years old. This, for me, I can't fuck around, you know? So we had to really say, number one, we don't want to ask people to put their lives at risk to come see us at a bar. Bottom line. You know, I just can't do that. Um, and number two, I can't risk it. You know, I have spent time in the hospital uh, with the flu before. I remember. I saw you were yeah. hospitalized not long ago. Not too long ago. Yeah, I had some crazy episodes. And it's diabetes is no joke. It definitely is something you have to take care of every single day, 24 hours a day. Um, and But so I just I just really said, all right, we're done. We can't do this. Did I think it was going to be this long? Hell no. None of us did. I knew it would be a while. But um, so that's when it's like. Week two, we were like, let's start streaming. And I went from using my cell phone, facing me, you know, selfie mode. Now we have like a five camera stream with light show. Um, I try not, I try to mix up the set list every single time I play. Um, and we try to make it interactive. Um, so I think Salt Lake's doing, I, I give Salt Lake a C minus, to be honest. <laughs> okay, that's a fair yeah. assessment. And it's actually a lot of good context to understand it. It's, it's really crazy. Again, it, it, Besides just San Francisco versus Salt Lake, as far as progressive values, just the the dichotomy or the I should say like the difference. Uh, there's nothing happening here and there's been yeah. nothing happening for a long time. And I don't really know anyone in my circle that's like doing anything. Oh, so man. it's a whole <laughs> nother reality. And yeah. we too have all, you know, uh, my partner, she worked at one of the best restaurants here in San Francisco. Um, and unfortunately lost her job in March and was, yeah. she, she wasn't week two like you. Actually, we moved to a ranch in Grass Valley and lived in a yurt for a few months and tried to like just back to nature it just to get yeah. our vibe right. But, yeah. uh, she transitioned. So she's a holistic nutritionist and she's teaching online and she went from, yeah, the cell phone selfie to like, she's got these umbrellas with lights and multiple yeah. cameras <laughs> and all kinds of production. Happening. I love it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really forcing people to look inward. What do I really want? And how am I going to get there in this in reality, et cetera? And it's awesome to hear that you've used that time and technology to kind of level up. And hopefully, yeah, you know, some folks are going to find out a little more about you listening to the pod. You know, we're like 20 plus minutes in. We really haven't got to the music. I want to talk a little yeah, let's get there. Uh, music stuff. 
Um, so growing up as a kid in Utah, uh, what was the music that first rocked your soul that either you resonated with or said, I want to do this, or this is written for me? Uh, who are some of the artists or albums yeah. that it, of your childhood? So I love, I was really lucky that my mom, Camille, just has an incredible taste in music. And that was like, she loved it. She played a little piano, but she didn't really, that wasn't her passion. Her passion was Pink Floyd. Like, so I had the church of Pink Floyd every weekend when she'd clean the house or talking heads. Uh, she'd listen to Bob Marley. Um, so just any of that good music, you know, any of that old 60s, 70s, 80s. I mean, let's get there. there I was born in 1984. So, um, but I honestly, the artist where I was like, that's what I want to do. That's who I want to be was Michael Jackson when I was little um, and Elvis Presley. <laughs> it's crazy. I saw Elvis Presley and I was just like the way he's playing his guitar, the way he can move his hips. I loved the music, which, you know, dial it back. It's uh, black music. It's Definitely. gospel. It's rock and roll. Um, and so anything that was, I mean, I can fully say that I wouldn't exist as a musician if it wasn't for the black music that came before me. Um, and that includes my family's uh, country and bluegrass history. So my great grandfather played multiple instruments and used to have barn dances up in Weibo, Montana. And then his daughter, my aunt uh, Florence, was a multi-instrumentalist, played trombone, played accordion, piano, guitar. Um, and so it kind of just was this thing. My uncle Corey, who passed before I was born, he he died when he was 23. He had this guitar and I would, would go sneak into my brother's room and strum it and like mess around on it and pretend, you know, and lip sync Elvis Presley. And so that's what started it. But from a, the youngest age, the drum set, you know, I was nine years old when I got my first drum set and that was just done. And I just loved playing the hip hop. I loved playing the Casey and the Sunshine Band, <laughs> just disco beats all day. Uh, but groove music, you know, um, it just created this love affair. And then I, I could tell that I wanted to play multiple instruments. I wanted to do a band. I wanted to get out there. And that kind of started to happen high school, you know, a couple years after high school. So. Right on. Yeah. You know, now that you say it, I can hear a little bit of the Elvis influence for sure. Definitely. You know? <laughs> I, I wouldn't yep. have gone there right off the bat, but now that you say it, definitely. And then, yeah, definitely can hear that your drummer first. There's like a, a lot of funk, a lot of pocket in your, in your songs. Thank you know, you. I, I really, I, you know, I went back to, you know, prep for this a bit and, uh, I wanted to just kind of explore the records cause you have, I know you got a loop record and then you have a fool's gold, which is, you did just about everything, right? Or yeah, mostly. Yeah, and then you've got it, yeah. the love, which is a band band. So yeah. what, uh, your experiences, do you love being Stevie Wonder Prince and doing just about everything? Or did you like better putting the love together and maybe hearing other people contribute their talents to your songs? Yeah. So Fool's Gold came out of, I was in a band called Marinade. We were full on hippie jam band and we played my originals, but we would just do our own versions of, you know, of whatever song it would be. Um, and I just come out of that band ready to just like be Talia Keys, not be the chick from Marinade, right? You're that chick drummer from that band, Marmalade. <laughs> <laughs> They'd all get the name wrong. And, you know, it's just, 
it was a cool time. We we traveled mostly up in Idaho and Colorado. We do two week stints in Colorado, like played all the Grateful Dead bars, like Sancho's, and Quixote's, all that good stuff. Um, but I was coming out of that and I was just, to be completely honest, I was frustrated just in general being a female in the music scene. Um, that band was great to me. Those guys did not, they were, they always respected me. They were super professional. We were a band. We got in our van and drove to almost every gig together. You know, we played four times a week together and just worked our asses off for eight years of just doing the grind. Um, and then I tried to do the side project with some other musicians in town and shit hit the fan. Let's be honest. I was there was some sexual harassment that went down. Um, a couple people would refer to me as the lesbian. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, man, I'm pansexual. I'm not even lesbian. Look it up. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's just the bullshit you deal with being a uh, female in the music industry, in a very, very male dominated music industry, in a very, very closed minded state. Right. Like this, the shit that I deal with here in Utah is not stuff I've dealt with when I travel and tour across the U.S. It just isn't. Um, it's it's suffocating. It really is sometimes. So the fool's gold is like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. I'm making my own record. And it was just so I could prove it literally was so I could prove to myself that I could play all the instruments on it, that I could produce it that I could be in the studio for 30 days making it with my engineer, Mike Sasich, and uh, my buddy, Greg Shaw, who was also an engineer there, and then my partner, Milan, helping. And it was just, like, this beautiful thing that I needed to do. I needed to get all that, like, abuse and, and just bad vibes and just get it out, right? And that was, like, songs that I had been writing for 10-plus years that I just did not feel like ma they were marinade songs or this song. It was, like... No, you know, there's some, like, anger there. And some, oh, yeah. You know, I can hear yeah. it. You know, right off the bat with the yell and help me, you know, just, yeah. like, <laughs> yep. not fucking around. Nope. You know, and it is. It's like, hey... This life is beautiful, and why are we making it harder? Why are we holding people down? Why, you know, poverty does not exist without extreme greed. And if we are the greatest nation in the world, then we should be the greatest nation in the world and be the best that we can be. Um, and the one thing that I would say that makes America the greatest nation is the fact that it is the melting pot of the entire world. So, you know, take that, put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I struggle with that. We've actually, just on Christmas, uh, we had did a socially, basically just my partner and a dear friend who was orphaned here because he was being responsible. And yeah. we talked about the whole greatest nation thing for a second. It's it's hard to, to use that word these days, but I get your point. It's like, only, that can only happen here, and that makes us great. But we're definitely trending in the wrong direction, especially if you listen to some of the lyrics to the songs on on fool's gold like you know yeah. you talk about marvin gay and stuff being relevant then and now well this is what five six years ago and it's yeah. it's trending in the wrong direction in a lot yeah. of ways so i think people could use to listen to the record just to thank hear you. it from you you know because yeah, you. you're addressing this shit like pre-maga and, yeah, and it mean, was almost like you foretold where we were headed i hate that shit <laughs> <laughs> i hate that about it but yeah uh, unfortunately, a, a friend of mine, a fellow festivi, festivite, uh, burning man, this, this guy I knew was killed by police here in Salt Lake. He was out shoveling people's front yards uh, for a little bit of money, and somebody called the cops on him, and the cop just comes at him super aggro. Long story short, uh, James Barker ended up dead and in handcuffs, and uh, nothing happens to that cop. 
And to me, and he, you know, he's white. He's a white man. He had a traumatic brain injury. He definitely did not want to give the cops his name because, like, hello, you don't have to. He's outside shoveling. Uh, but basically, like, that for me was just like it happened in Utah. It was like our first big publicized police killing. And then you look back and it's been happening all the goddamn time. We just didn't know. Um, so, yeah, No Justice, No Peace is a song I wrote. And I um, I think Tamir Rice had just died. And I think that Philando Castile had just died. And it was just like, are you kidding me? Like, wow. And so it just took this awakening, you know, and help me is a song just asking y'all to come out and help us out like this makes life easier um and a bunch of other songs you know going through the trauma of my dad and uh, a song called too deep and uh, a breakup and whatnot you know it's just, it was basically just like oh get it off my chest and get it on this record and do it and it's really cool and i mean i'm just, i don't honestly want to ever do it again <laughs> because i just I really jive with other human beings. I really, um, my musicality is better because of playing with other humans, you know, right. and you're, you, what you thought you were going to go left here, but the band made you go right. Oh, that's like the coolest thing on the planet when that happens. Um, and so I, I'm lucky that I assembled kind of a dream team of a lot of professional musicians based out of Salt Lake city for my band called the love. Um, and I've got an amazing female backup singer, Lisa Giacoletto. She's opera trained. She did theater, but she also can sing heart. You know, she can hit these high notes and do a lot of the things that compliment me where I sit. Um, and I just got this awesome, funkiest bass player, Josh Olson. Uh, my keyboard player, Ryan, um, is an incredible jazz organist. Like he played with a hundred year old saxophone player in Utah. His name Joe McQueen. Joe just passed away last year. But Ryan brings that jazz flavor to us. Um, and then I'm lucky that I play with Dave Brogan, who is, you know, a veteran of the jam band scene, played in L ALO for 20 years. And uh, he just he's a phenomenal drummer. And I'm like, if I'm not on the drums, I need someone who can, you know, just play where I don't feel like oh, I wish they would hit harder or I wish they would like come here. Like, I don't have to think about anything when he's on the kit. So. Yeah. Definitely, you can hear there's chemistry there. And, you know, I listened to that record quite a few times when you first dropped it because we were planning on doing something back then. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it, do you see uh, your future in that ensemble or you have no idea? what What's next when you can start gigging again? You're going to put the band back together? Yeah, so we actually tracked for three days right before COVID hit. Literally March 8th, 9th, and 10th, we were, like, right around there we're tracking and then we all went into lockdown and so we were going to release another record um a seven song little short do singles and like that and then our plans was to play you know play festivals again and get out there so now it's kind of just we're just waiting we're this holding period um but my thing is, is i'm gonna play no matter what no matter who can tour with me or who can travel or if I have to go to LA and hire people there, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. And that's been my main goal is just keep pursuing this on a, with a wider radius or wider reach. So yeah, the love is going to be the love, whoever's there doing it, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, it's your band and of course, you know, you get to call the shots. I was just, you know, yeah. kind of wondering, cause you've got three different paradigms, you know, you got the loop thing, which I'm yep. sure you've gotten back to during COVID considerably. Absolutely. That's and all then, I do. <laughs> right. Yep. So 
before we go, uh, you've been really generous with your time and uh, really honest and open and super grateful for that. So Thank I you, wanted Dave. to finish with something for the kids. What is Rock Camp for Girls and yeah. what is your experience there? Yeah, so it's actually called Rock Camp SLC now. We did a little name change a couple of years ago. But Rock Camp, uh, there's Rock Camp for Girls, there's uh, Rock Camp SLC. It was started actually in Portland a long time ago. And it was a summer camp that was started to get more girls involved in playing music. Um, and it's pretty just, it's an incredible program that has exploded and gone all over the world. Like there's rock camps in New Zealand, there's rock camps in Japan, there's rock camps literally everywhere. Um, and so here in Salt Lake City, a couple friends of mine had said, we're going to start this camp. We're going to do this here in Utah. And I'm like, yeah, we like this is one of the most misogynistic places in the United States. I think we just got listed on a uh, survey for the worst state to live if you're a woman, meaning the pay gap is worse here. The uh, being a CEO or being up at high up in a business is way less here. And so and me, like I talked about earlier, dealing with some sexual harassment and just being a, a woman in the industry, I was like all about it. Um, I know that there's always been female musicians. We have always existed. We just aren't given the same platform. We're not given the same amount of chances. Uh, if you look at the music industry, it's less than 25% are women. And then even less are queer, even less are trans, and even less are non-binary or gender expansive. Um, and so we did actually, I think we did one year where we were just rock camp for girls, and then we saw this need that there were a lot of queer kids, a lot of gender expansive kids who don't identify as she, her. Um, and actually some kids that were trans, uh, they were trans boys. And so we wanted to make it inclusive for all marginalized genders. So it's just an incredible thing. I've been the music director of it for five years now. Um, we do two full summer camps every summer. We serve about 140 kids in Salt Lake City. They come join a band. They learn an instrument, whether they have any experience or not. Um, they write original song with their band. They come up with a name. They make T-shirts. They do empowerment workshops every single day. They are told to take up space and be loud. They're told to be who they are. Um, and a lot of times these kids end up writing the most brilliant, beautiful, political songs. Um, and it, it's life-changing. It literally, it's like the church of rock camp. I could preach about it all day. It is life-changing and just so affirming, uh, you know, to, to be a female and see this and also see that it is literally changing the whole landscape of our music scene here in Salt Lake. You're seeing a lot more female uh, bands. You're seeing a lot more uh, trans people, trans representation. You're seeing a lot more engineers, producers. Um, and we've always existed, you know, but the whole percentage thing is way off. And um, eventually, I do want to say this, that I really do want to open up the camp to all genders because I do feel like that men face a lot of shit. They're, they are denied so much of their emotions. They're denied so much, you know, in our American culture to be a man. And it's like, no. So rock camp really could benefit and save anyone's life. Um, and it's just using music. It's using music to change people. Um, and su teen suicide is the number one cause of death here in Utah. Uh, or, yes, suicide is the number one cause of death of teens in Utah. 
And so we just, we want to make a change. And I truly believe we're doing good work and I see it. And these kids, man, they're coming for my job. <laughs> That's beautiful, seriously. And I'm, you know, just touching to hear you talk about it such passion and verve and it's you you know it's like your life and then you're imparting that to the next generation i should probably tell you know like i've learned a lot about that culture and just lgbtq myself from just being a fan of yours thank Uh, you man and i'm marrying uh into a family where i'll have a trans sister-in-law and that's awesome happening uh like during uh my relationship. So navigating that is new to me. And just being a fan of yours, hearing you speak, reading your posts, listening to your music has in like some intangible ways, like better prepared me for this. And I'm grateful for that, you know, because awesome. I've been able to uh, be uh, supportive and em- embrace um, my new family member. So I appreciate yep. you getting out there and, and being like so open and honest and transparent and vulnerable. All that stuff is hard and not everyone can do it. Certainly not in this cultural climate. So yep. deep bow of gratitude and thanks for, you know, being you. Well, thank you, B. Like I said, we're here to fuck shit up, man. You're yeah. doing it. You know, thank don't you. change a thing. Thank you, man. I'm honored to be on your podcast. Like I said, a lot of the bands I've opened up for are on your podcast, a lot of the people I admire. Um, I am a brand new radio DJ. That is something rad that's happened for me here. So local, cool. commu- yeah, local community radio. I got a show Saturday nights from midnight to two a.m. And like, can people I- hear it on the web? Yeah, they can. So I got a Mixcloud. If you just go to Talia Keys on Mixcloud.com, uh, you okay. can hear the show and hear. In, uh, do some interviews with some local musicians, but I, I, we have so much of the same taste in music. So I just want to say, you know, I had heard of lettuce for years, but you're the one that pushed me over to like just go for it. Oh, right and, on! And I've played them so much on my show. So thank you for expanding my musical knowledge uh, and uh, bring, bringing important topics to the table in the music industry is the only way this industry will change. So thank you so much, man. Uh, it means a lot. Well, that warms my heart to hear. And again, like I started the conversation, the feelings are mutual. And uh, where can fans find you other than Mixcloud if they want to, you know, just stay hip to what you're up to? Yeah, TaliaKeys.com. It has everything, everything you could ever want to need. All right, we'll put it in the show notes. And uh, again, many thanks. Much love, big hugs, and we'll do it again sometime. Awesome. Thanks, B. Take care. say thank you to Ms. Talia Keys for that awesome conversation and please check her out taliakeys.com and catch up with all her endeavors there. Also want to say thank you and offer a deep bow to Alfred Howard. You can find him at alfredhowardwrites.com and that's W-R-I-T-E-S 
to pleasure having underground independent artists like themselves on this show cast a spotlight on what's happening beneath the surface please i encourage you to rate and review the up full life podcast on apple podcasts or your platform of choice goes a long way to helping out the algorithms and bringing us new listeners also got to plug the brand new patreon patreon.com backslash up full life you can contribute and facilitate uh, this podcast and various music media undertakings endeavors etc got some mixtapes live sets up there if you join up you'll get some stickers in the mail and i've got some other surprises on the way now we've reached the end of episode 41 like we always do about this time the vibe junkie jams and here in february 2021 we've reached 15 years since james yancey jd j dilla tragically passed away 2006 feels like yesterday and a lifetime at the same time so i've been putting together some media for live for live music to commemorate and celebrate his life and work and influence spirit but i wanted to do the same to wrap things up on this episode um, right now you're hearing obligato it's a brother jack mcduff song remixed by jay dilla on the blue note revisited uh, real quick to backtrack you heard uh, Alborosi on the urban music readover kingston town then we hit you with uh track off of Mad Lib's new record which was assembled by Fortet actually and that album's called Sound Ancestors and it's brand new on Mad Lib Invasion we played obviously some Alfred Howard some Talia Keys and now we're going to drop a double shot of Jay Dilla like I said to Give thanks and show love for his voluminous contributions to music culture. I just dropped into a little Love Jones real quick, extended version from the Shining instrumentals. But what I'm going to play are two beloved tracks to me. Uh, it's really hard to pare down. I mean, what do you play? Jay Dill is like, I got a 33-hour, six-volume mix series from Mr. V out there in Australia can find that on upfullife.com so anyway it was tough to choose but i am going to drop uh first i mentioned fortet with regard to madlib uh fortet has the as serious as your life remix it was a 12 inch that came out on domino back in 2003 and it is one of my favorites uh to quote kieran fortet my record company asked me if I wanted to get any remixes for my album, Rounds. I instantly suggested JD, thinking it was deeply unlikely. Domino tracked down his manager, sent him the music, and a few weeks later we heard back saying he was up for doing it. For a very reasonable fee. A couple of months passed and no remix showed up, so we chased his manager. He came back saying that JD had been quite sick recently. Not knowing how serious his illness was, we decided to just wait and see what happened. Then one day I got a call from Domino 
Sang a CD has turned up in the post, and the remix is wild. It has JD singing on it, and some guy called Guilty Simpson rapping. He had made the heaviest beat from the sounds, and him and Guilty were rapping amazing lines all over it, stuff about saxophone reeds and Eddie Murphy's pants. The way he had made the title of my instrumental track into this huge vocal hook was just too good. As Serious As Your Life is a reference to a book about 60s free jazz. So to hear Dilla sing something that I associated with Coltrane was especially deep for me. Yeah, so we're going to go As Serious As Your Life, JD Remix. And then I'm going to play just an absolute classic beloved song. Uh, called Nag Champa. It's off Common's album Like Water for Chocolate, which came out in 2000 and was a crucial, crucial album for me as a youngster figuring shit out. Common says, when I was working on Like Water for Chocolate, I would go to Detroit like two or three times a month. When we would go to JD's basement, we would just burn Nag Champa incense. So that's where I got the title from. I was listening to Slum Village a lot, was influenced by them with Nag Champa, which was either the first or second song for Like Water for Chocolate. We had it for a long time, but no chorus. We kept trying, but there was nothing good coming out. I took T3 and them to the studio to work with me on the chorus. T3 started chanting something, but he didn't finish. He had a little idea. JD heard it and started really singing it and got it together. Jay had an incredible voice. He was actually going to do a singing album. We used to talk about that when he would stay with me in L.A. Close quote. So there you have it. That's the story from Common about Nag Champa and from Fortet, Kieran himself, about As Serious As Your Life. And again, look for my feature on Live For Live Music early February. A nod to James Yancey, J.D., J. Dilla himself. And that brings us to the end of episode 41 of the Upful Life podcast. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. I'm going to try to speed it up a little bit. I've got some other stuff already recorded in the pipeline, so you won't have to wait a month for 42. But please enjoy. Stay safe. Stay sane. Goodbye. Job bless. And we'll see you next time.
serious I'ma put in my input Chicks that don't put out, we put out the room I'm serious Some be like, who's the new cat? Whoever he is, give him space, he told two gats Back it up, it's a fact you gon' bleed When I leave your ass wetter than a saxophone reed So serious Gamblers taking our bets Guilty Sips and y'all, Jay Dillon, Fortet That's serious <laughs> But don't let me have to pull out that pretty ass R U G E for the rough, rough, rugged, rugged and raw, yeah, rugged, 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 See, we on some Jermaine Jack, let's get serious shit For real, but even more serious is Forte with Guilt and Dale Come on, the remix of how your chick head Not until she need a weed fix, the whole team sick and
check it. Exciting, enlightening, inviting. I'm writing shit that I feel. Raps of black steel in the hour of commotion, emotion of calm. It's like that of an ocean, devotion, cause I'm. The earth, wind, and fire. A hip hop by rock him in short, I've been inspired. My shit knocks in fire. Mets are cats with 17s. Ted, time is money. The mind is funny. How it's spent on getting it. I'm sitting with descendants of Abraham who say the jam is money, cash hoes. I went from bashful to asshole to international. Love herself, word to mother. On my last record cover is felt, now deal with it. Magazine writers and C's who request hot shit, I freeze. And tell them where I was rose, we always said cold. Hold your horses and your carriages, it's never went gold, nigga. Rock shows, careless. You not gonna respect self, at least respect the heritage. Affected lives is where the wealth and the merit is. I realize what I portray day to day, I gotta carry this. And beast rhymes and life is where the marriage is. Had dreams of fucking RB broads that came true. Journalists I wrecked, shared the same view, picked up a fallen angel on the path that I MC. Familiar voice come to find out the angel was me. Some say you change it, Rashi. Times are, we still close. I rhyme far away, away. For what you accustomed to hearing every day uh, uh, You know the dope chopping, gun popping, homies dying I'm amongst it, say the war stories from Private Ryan I, I. I wanna see into it, let's yeah. do this Children laugh, men dance, I refuse to lose self And trying to win fans over Weight on my shoulder fluctuates like Oprah's My refrigerator poetry's magnetic like Ultra You couldn't hang if you was a poster Posing like a bitch for exposure It's rumors of gay MCs Just don't come around me with it You still rockin' hickeys, don't let me find out he did it Got my eyes on the tiger Eyes on the prize, eyes on the thighs A Mary J. Blige, imagining how good the cat must be Stop eating meat, lost weight, but I still rap husky My first step is like that of a baby's first step Or the old lady who died and the nurse swept I flow like cursive, frightening, fighting you and yours to my openness Shows allow me to cop range like a vocalist But man does not live on bread alone What good is the range when it's time to head home? Yeah, Yeah, we be that. Afrodisiac, 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 we be that. Afrodisiac
we be that, we be that. Afro DZIG, we be that, we be that. Afro DZIG, we be that, we be that. Afro DZIG, we be that, we be that. Afro DZIG.